new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to On the Bench, wrapping up this edition, this episode, I guess it is. Three, two, one. Chop walk yourself, baby. Chop walk yourself. <laughs> Boom! Take out them ankles. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by the one, the only, Chris Nee. Chris, this is like an old school podcast. Just you and me, baby. You, yeah. ex- you excited for that or not? Yeah. I'm here for it. All right. You know, we have we have good chemistry. People, You don't want to admit it. People don't want to admit it, but there's something going on here. I feel like we're in a progressive commercial now. Me, you're John Hamm on... The other lady, flow, flow, your flow. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I've been compared to John Hamm a couple times this week. I get it. So as we enter this podcast, there's a lot to get to. Uh, we have NC State preview. We have a quick recruiting Twitter beef thing to kind of get off our chest. We have Byers Sinone. Uh, but first, Chris, let's start with this week of practice. You know, the Seminoles are coming off their first loss of the season, a disappointing 31-21 defeat to Wake Forest and they're going up to Raleigh to play a top 15 team in NC state. Uh, so let's, let's just kind of settle in of where Florida state is, what we saw from practice this week. And I think the starting point to me, man, is that FSU entered the week with coach Norvell and maybe more than coach Norvell coach, Alex Atkins, offensive coordinator, offensive line coach kind of setting the tone of, of I thought what was going to be interesting to, to watch and see develop. Atkins spoke a lot in his Monday prep, press conference about dictating terms about his offensive line, not reacting, seeing, anticipating. I think he mentioned a form of reaction like 10 to 15 times. Uh, A lot of what he was talking about was just be the aggressor, be assertive. I I think that played to kind of the lack of energy that, that we had talked about earlier in the week against Wake Forest. So starting off with that, Chris, did you feel any of that? Did you see any of that of these two days of practice for Florida state this week? Well, I was there really early on Tuesday, and I noticed Adam Fuller, as a defense, was coming in saying attack, attack, attack. So there was definitely kind of a push of some of these ideas, some of these concepts, things that they fell short in doing against Wake Forest. I thought overall the practices were good. I thought Wednesday was better than Tuesday. A lot of that has to do with I thought quarterback play was better on Wednesday, specifically Jordan Travis, compared to Tuesday. Um a better week than last week. Last week was more concerning because of the execution issues. This week, I didn't see as much of that. You know, and the other thing is, let's be honest, we're out there taking inventory, seeing who we expect them to have available to play. Last week, the offensive tackle issues were massive. The big question is, is Robert Scott going to be back? You know, he's trying to. Mike Norvell commented on a few injuries yesterday. Jared Verse, he's full go. I think Verse will probably be able to handle a full plate of reps this week as compared to two dozen that he had last week. Amari Gaynor is the guy who's going to work himself back in. He was close to playing last week. Same with Robert Scott. Dressed out last week, wasn't able to go. I expect that we probably get to see him make his return this week, which would be very beneficial to FSU in their offensive line. 
described as uh, paraphrasing, but basically a game time decision. Yeah. Norvell said for Robert Scott, but he, he acknowledged that Robert did practice some this week. So that's, that's an encouraging development for Florida state. And I think it's really going to ultimately depend on like how, how the lower leg feels for him the next couple, couple of days here. Uh, but yeah, that, that certainly getting a little healthier helps with depth. It helps with energy. I think that's all important parts of this. Let's circle back around, Chris. You mentioned Jordan Travis and how he performed. I thought Wednesday was the best practice we've seen from him in a couple weeks now. And the way I described it to you during the practice was I thought his his Wednesday practice was better than his Tuesday practice. His Tuesday practice was better than what we saw from him on Saturday against Wake. That Saturday was better than what we saw the previous Wednesday practice, and the previous Wednesday practice was better than the previous Tuesday's practice. He's kind of ascended after really just not looking like himself that Tuesday after BC. I'm not sure exactly what the deal is, and you can see it in the B-roll video that we have uh, open to media access that he doesn't have the knee brace on anymore. I do wonder if if that was uh, if possibly just making him uncomfortable and not being able to step in the throws. Uh, he just didn't seem like himself against Wake Forest athletically. Didn't seem like himself as a passer or what we've seen from him as a passer last week. And it was good to see a return to it. You know, Tuesday wasn't the sharpest day for him. It wasn't bad by any means, just wasn't sharp. I thought Wednesday was pretty damn sharp, man. I thought he was really good. You mentioned his eyes, like where he was going with the football. He seemed to be confident and in control. And I thought that was an encouraging sign. Yeah, he missed one on the seam on Wednesday. I think it was Malik McClain going vertical. Um, he just left it short. He did not put enough on it, and he clearly was a little unhappy with himself. That was in the middle portion of practice, and then he was good in the tempo portion early in the day, had that moment in the middle, and then the latter portion, I thought he was very good, uh, did an excellent job down the stretch of getting his body in the throws, uh, kind of putting a little extra something on it because, you know, at this point you're not spring fresh. You're not feeling great. You can't rely solely on your arm. So he was making sure he got his body into some throws where he had to because he had to push it down the field. And he was also trying to get it out a little bit quicker and stuff like that. Just, I think it shows his continued maturation as a quarterback who's thrown the ball quite a bit in this offensive system of understanding that he has to adjust in season as his body is forcing him to. And I, I like that. I saw that in the latter portion of yesterday. The other thing I liked about yesterday is I, I thought the receivers caught it pretty well. I thought, you know, backs caught it pretty well. And, you know, that's a area where FSC is always trying to utilize their backs. They want good receiving backs and, you know, Rodney Hill, for example, is a guy who we've seen a good bit of this week, and he's been good when we've seen him. And we've talked about that. He's been mentioned in both of our practice reports, if I recall correctly, um, for this week. He's just a guy that's kind of stood out, and he's not the only one. He's just, it seems like an uptick of what we've seen him do in recent weeks. And Alex Atkins, I'm going to get to Rodney in a minute or two, but Alex Atkins had mentioned someone who, Rodney has been someone who's remained engaged, who's been part of travel teams, and when asked about you know earlier in the week what it would take for younger guys, some younger guys to be incorporated more into the offense. I think he was being asked about the offensive line there, to be honest. But uh, he mentioned Rodney Hill as, as someone uh, specifically uh, who had a chance at that uh, with with Jordan Travis. And, and so our listeners understand like the practice dynamic. Uh, when Chris says later in practice, that typically refers to like late practice is usually scout team stuff and installation. And so when we were saying that he performed well late in practice, that means he was throwing well against scout team guys, but more so I think the more important part is uh, executing what the game plan is going to be. 
Yeah, and putting putting the ball in a place where it's only good for his receiver, it's vertical, it's leading his guy, it's anticipating the throw, things like that. It's not so much, oh, they connected and completed a pass. It's how the pass was completed, mm-hmm. where it was put, how quickly the decision was made, how they did it. it. And more so like where the completion or the connect on the pass was more important was the beginning portion of practice when they're doing uh, – on Wednesdays, a lot of the time, they'll spend uh, a portion of the 11-on-11 team good on good stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, on uh, on situational work. And a lot of time that that's third down and they'll set them up in different third and long situations. And he completed all four of his passing attempts in that, in that situational drill. Uh, I think two of them went for first downs, which, you know, 50% rate when you're third and long is, is pretty damn good. But the fact that he was able to absorb different pressures to get rid of the ball quickly, again, when you're, when you're in a, a disadvantage uh, situation, uh, he was really good. Mike Norvell went up to him, gave him dap afterwards. I think Mike Norvell, when I asked him about Jordan Travis's, you know, improvement from two, because Mike Mike started off the day saying, you know, I thought we were just a little bit cleaner. He liked the energy both Tuesday and Wednesday, but thought the execution was a little cleaner on Wednesday. I interpreted that as Jordan Travis, uh, specifically running the offense at a high level. So I, I followed it up and asked him about Jordan's jump from from Tuesday to Wednesday. And he talked about how good he was with the eyes, which is funny because that's something that Chris noticed during the scout team. He's like, I like where he's going. You could actually, Chris was able to see like where his eyes were going with a couple of, of reads and, and check downs and whatnot. So anyways, it was, it was just, it was a good day for Jordan Travis. And I thought encouraging that after having a little bit of a lull last week uh, seems to have gotten a little bit of his groove back. We'll see if that carries over to Raleigh uh, on, on Saturday, but progress. Uh, Chris, yeah. let's oh, go ahead. I was just going to add, I think most people are going to, everybody has recency bias. They go back to what happened most recent. So everybody's thinking about the O-line, and obviously the O-line was an issue against Wake. I don't think the O-line is something they can fix in practice, per se. It's more getting bodies back, specifically Robert Scott. It's also about kind of figuring out what they can and cannot do. Uh, We saw a lot of movement last week with the O-line, and at times that caused some chaos issues for them. I'm a little interested this week if we see them play a little bit more north-south, which, you know, helps a guy like Jazz Turntine, who's not most athletic and not the greatest at processing and doing things quickly, who was having issues. If you're still having to run him out there at a primary tackle position, you maybe you adjust a little bit. So that's one thing I'm interested based off of watching some practice, if they maybe veer in that direction a little bit. One thing that is going to be interesting with that in mind is that uh, if you go and watch what Kev Little's doing for us at Knowles 24-7. You can check it out on Knowles247.com or on his YouTube page, X's and Knowles. Uh, his preview stuff with a bunch of B-roll and clips has to be on X's and Knowles because of right stuff with, with Knowles 24-7, CBS YouTube page. That's why there's two YouTube pages. Anyways, uh, he he was looking at the NC State defense. And we're going to get into this later on with, with the preview portion of the podcast. But NC State runs that 3-3-5 stack deal. And they run it at a really high level. They're top 25 defense, actually probably closer to top 20. And the point that he was making on that video was that NC State, with that alignment, really can dedicate itself to attacking all four of the interior gaps of the offensive line uh, with just four players. Um, So that allows for a lot of outside havoc and whatnot and – what you can do to counter it is a counter that you can change the gaps by running counter and pull counter tray, all that stuff that FSU loves doing. Uh, they, that was like really their staple last year. Something they have 
consistently done at a high level under Mike Norvell, whether you have to go away from what's your your strength because you don't know if you can actually like make that a strength right now with some of the reaction issues with say Jazz and Turnitin and and uh, Demetri Emanuel had an issue with that as well on Saturday or if you can kind of resolve that and get that cleared up that goes back to what we started here at the top of the podcast with Alex Atkins talking about making the picture a little clearer being less reactionary being more you know dictating terms of it and I'm interested to see that too Chris like how do you attack that really good defensive front we will see. We will see. Uh, that's that's going to be an interesting philosoph- philosophical uh, chess match to kind of watch on Saturday and see what Florida State does. Is it does it continue to try to force what has been a strength uh, to attack a potential weakness of NC State, or does it simplify things a little bit? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you mentioned Rodney Hill earlier. I want to mention three standouts from the week. Three different guys that I thought were pretty good and, and flashed both days. Rod Hill is my first one, man. I just really like the way he runs, the way he carries himself. I think he's just someone who we liked what we saw in the spring. Thought he had a really good preseason camp. Kind of hit a little bit of a rookie wall here, but he's he's made the most of every opportunity, whether it's been in practice, whether that's been in games like in cleanup duty, where he's averaging about six and a half yards per carry. He looks the part. I think they hit on him. I'm interested to see Chris if if they find a role for him this year. It's tough though because you have three pretty good running backs. It's tough to integrate four into the lineup. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if Lawrence Tolafili falters, it's Rodney Hills taking is basically the way I view it because mm-hmm. they're similar in what they bring good pass catching running backs who are a little bit of a change of pace kind of guy compared to Benson and what Ward does too. Uh, yeah. I think that's where his opportunity stands, but for those young guys, uh, Rodney Hill, any offensive talent, skill guy who's a freshman type at a position with a very established starter or starter group as running back has, it's all about maximizing those opportunities in practice, those reps. And I think Rodney did an exquisite job of doing that this week. He was a guy who consistently had good moments and consistently did what he knew he had to do and did it at a really high level. And that that's pretty important. That's usually a really good sign, if not for immediate contribution, for future contribution. The other guy, or a a another uh, another and uh, number two on the list is defensive end Patrick Payton. <laughs> Too early. <laughs> defensive end Patrick Payton, man, he's got he's had two sacks the last two weeks. His role has kind of been forced to expand because of the Jared verse injury limitation. But the silver lining of that is like, okay, I think you have someone that you can now use consistently in the lineup, even as Jared verse works his way back. Patrick Payton looks like a dude, looks like someone who's going to be able, by the time it's all said and done here, I think it's going to be a damn good defensive end right now. looks like someone who can help you situationally. He had a good week again. Like he, he looks like he's coming into his own. I like the way he moves off the edge uh, very confident, very instinctive. Uh, there was a play on Wednesday's practice where he, he jumped up because he, it was a quick pass he jumped up, got his arms up there. I mean, you're six foot five. You got long arms. I'm always yelling for that, for the record. Chris, I'm, cool. I'm always like, my God, if you penetrate, get the arms up. That's what kids show. Yeah, he was he was good this week. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add on Patrick Payton, or should I move on to my third and final? It's growing confidence with him. He spoke of it this week. Um, it, the more reps he gets, the more comfortable he gets. One nice quality about Patrick that I think you see when you speak to him, when he's reflecting on what he's done and not done, and that coaches have also said – He's a kid that very much uh, thinks about when he messes up much more than celebrating when he does right. 
that's usually a pretty good quality to improve as a football player. Pat's a very good pass rusher. I think he'll continue to improve as a run stopper too. And that's obviously the key for him to become an every down type of defensive end. There was the play against Boston College. I think it was the second pressure where he gets to Jerkovic and missed wasn't wraps, able to wraps his ankles, but doesn't yeah. get him down. But you see what he did exactly after the like that happened? No. He slammed the ground because he was angry. Dude. He was pissed. Yeah, and he, he talked about that. He talked about I knew if I got in there this week, I had to end the play. I had to get him down to the ground. So yeah, he's always thinking about it. And that's good when it's when the hamster wheel is moving real fast in the head. Mm-hmm. That's usually a good sign for a young guy. Even his like interview. So when we got him after the Boston College game, and it was like at the post game setup is a little I think intimidating for a player, especially early on, because you're at a podium, you're looking out into an auditorium of about, you know, a dozen or so reporters. You got the cameras right in front of you. It's like that after practice, but it's a little bit more intimate and a little bit more conversational. Uh, And just the, the way he talked his first real big media interview versus the one this week, he was so much more calm and relaxed. I think that's just like, even just kind of reflecting on what he's doing as a player. Not that they always translate, but I think you're just seeing someone calm down and come into his own, and that's really encouraging. Uh, the third and final guy on my list as a standout from the week, Chris, I'm going to do it. Do you, you know who I'm going to put out there? You're not going to You're going to say Jerry and Jones, aren't you? I can't not say Jerry and Jones. He was great this week, and I know. Tell me why I'm wrong, and I understand it, but like he was good. He was good this week. Needs to happen on Saturday before we need to believe it on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, he was, he was indeed good this week, but I, I'm of the same mindset of you. I just can't pretend that I didn't see what he did this week, which was he was really sticky in coverage. He generated multiple takeaways. I just, I just, you hope like that light bulb turns on for him in games. Cause if so, that, that really changes the dynamic of the cornerback room. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm just saying, like, we're seeing it happen during the week. Speaking of seeing it happen during the week, a couple weeks in a row now, Chris, uh, Ryan Fitzgerald has has made all of his field goal attempts when we're watching. I don't did, know what that means. Did he the make future. them all? Uh, he did. He did. Every single game. one? Okay. Uh, I think Aiden was one of two. Uh, Aiden Shahari? Shahari? I, I need to look up the pronunciation. I think Shahari. Shahari. Shari, but I'm not sure. I'm probably messing that up. But Aiden, that's let's just how it's say it with, in let's just out. say it with confidence. Aiden Shariari. Aiden, we're just call me Aiden. Aiden. Um, yeah, I I think they're sticking with Fitz. Um, I'm interested to see how they coach. Say when they're inside the forty, if they're playing four down football. But you know, somebody made the point to me this morning when we were discussing kicker usage. If they're in a fourth and eighteen, at the thirty-eight, or I'm sorry, at the twenty-eight. Uh, you know, what do you do? That's very difficult, winnable down, obviously. Uh, I, I I, it's a do... weird predicament. I just don't think you can allow a defense to wholeheartedly believe that you're never going to use your kicker. But at the same time, uh, there's no expectation of him making it consistently right now. Can you have a short yardage kicker and then have fits for like the longer stuff where he's not thinking if he misses it from 50 beyond 45 beyond like that's not as damning as like missing a 30 yarder yeah you're allowed you're allowed to try any option any and every option available to you to see if it works but i feel like the coaching i don't think the coaching staff is solely sticking with fits to be stubborn or something like that i think they still believe he's the best option available to them i guess that's the easiest way i can put it i had asked jp about it in the press conference on monday a coach john papuchas and basically it's like how do you evaluate like you see something in practice 
and especially with kicking, like you're making them, it's easy to quantify, but then the game happens and again, easy to quantify. Like it's not happening. You're below 50% as a field goal kicker at this point. Like how do you balance what you're seeing in game versus what you're seeing in practice when he's consistently making in practice? And for what it's worth, I thought the ball came off his foot well this week. I'm not a kicking expert, but you can hear it and you know what it sounds like when it, when it's right and you know what it sounds like when it's wrong hard and straight instead of kind of knuckleball stuff we've been seeing a little yeah it sounded better and i just i don't know i don't know i just don't know what you do that's all i got on it. i think you coach not to kick field goals but if you're in a situation where it's the only valuable option available then it is what it is you got to go with it do you remember after the LSU game, I said how nice it was that we can like delve into minutia now because like the, the major catastrophic, like fixing the culture of the program stuff have been rectified. This is, this is it. We've talked about kicker for three straight weeks now. You know how good the special teams would be if field goal kicking wasn't an issue. I mean, they've got excellent special teams in pretty much every other phase this year. Mm-hmm. This is the issue. I thought JP couldn't coach special teams. That's what, what the message boarders told me. All right. Next topic. Next topic is by Orsonone, presented to you by the Turner Group. Don't Sinone buying or selling a house because it's a daunting process. The Turner Group is a one-stop shop for anyone in the ever-changing... My, my ad read there, which I want to do this organically, but it said one-stop stop, which is definitely not right. <laughs> uh, it's a one-stop shop for anyone in the ever-changing housing market. Colin and Amy Turner are both Knowles. Shout out FSU grads. Uh, who offer elite customer service and they want to make the process of buying a house or selling a house as easy as possible on you. They're located in the central Florida area, primarily Orlando. That certainly trickles down to uh, both sides of the state, uh, like all the way to St. Pete, but they can help you being in Keller Williams. They can help you from anywhere in the state of Florida and even outside too. So if you're just even looking for advice, uh, like, like Zach's mom, shout out Zach's mom. Uh, earlier this week or last week needed help because their daughter uh, was in Zach's sister got basically like stranded in apartments in central Florida. Like a lot of UCF students did because of flooding and reach out to Colin to help out. Like, okay, what's the best option? What, what can we do? Uh, and he was able to be helpful and responsive. So I think that's a really great sign of someone early on in our you know, professional relationship that he's able to be so prompt and quick and a sign of really great customer service. Uh, if you're open to buying and selling house, you just want advice, you want to talk to Noel about FSU football, reach out to Colin at 407-403-8546. You can email him at getstartedattheturnergroup.com. Just Google the Turner Group, and that's a good way to, to get all their information as well. And you get to see a bunch of five-star reviews. Mention on the bench, let them know we sent you. Uh, the Turner Group, yearly multi-million dollar producer, closed on nearly 100 homes last year. Uh, Chris Byerson, the Turner Group, close on more homes last year than Corey Durden has deleted tweets in his career. I'll buy that. <laughs> All right, let's get going on Byerson. Thanks to the Turner Group for making this possible. Starting off with Bryson Byerson, trading Jamie Robinson and Fabo for Cyrus Fagan and Curry, Corey Durden. That's a buy for me. Hard buy. Yeah, it's a buy. It was about culture change. It's also about guys that want to be here versus guys that need a fresh start. And Corey Durden hasn't been like, he was really good last year. Uh, I don't know why it's been this talking point in the message board this week. Corey's fine. He's solid. And when he's engaged and healthy, like he's very productive as an interior pass rusher. 
but I think it's, it's PFF grade is like 60 this year. I mean, it, it was beneficial for Corey Durden to leave the program mutually beneficial for him to leave the program. I think it helped him grow and become a better person and player and FSU. It didn't hurt him in my opinion. I think it's a good way to put it. No Hoya by Ursanone. Jared Verse leaving to become a first round draft pick after the season helps the program more than if he returns next season. Ooh. Ooh. I'm selling that. I, I'll always take a guy who's a first round draft pick on the roster instead of going to recruit one. I get the idea of you become a landing spot, a destination for defensive ends and especially transfer defensive ends. If you do it back to back times with uh, Jermaine and then Jared, uh, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on Tog McShay being the draft expert that people are turning him out to be because he had him number 29 in his first round. I think Verse is really good, and if the production stays as it is, he's probably going pro, and he'll probably be drafted fairly high. But, like, I'm not jumping in the deep end of him being a lock to the first round today. I think a lot of it depends on, like, what his production looks like the rest of the year. If he goes yeah. on and has a sack every single game, like he's averaging a sack per game right now, and he finishes the year with 11, 12 sacks, like, okay, you know, you're a third-year guy, double-digit sacks in the Power Five. Like, go get paid, young man. Um, yeah. But you, you know what? You, I will, I will sonone this because you could have a scenario in which Jarverse is an All ACC defensive end who returns for a senior year and then becomes a first-round draft pick the next year, and that's still equally valuable, like from a recruiting standpoint and sales pitch standpoint. By Orsonone, Kev from Porto. Assume that's Puerto Rico. Uh, Byer Sinone, Mike Norvell hires a personal stylist to improve his lack of drip. <laughs> People don't like the golf shoes, I think. I'll sell it. I mean, who am I to criticize the way another man dresses? Guys, you had a coach wearing a whistle around his neck. Like, let's Sinone, this it's fine. It's fine. You're a football coach. You have to look snazzy. Uh, this is for me to you, Chris. Byer Sinone, Julian Armella should get at least one series this week. I will buy that. Um, I think there's ways to try to groove him in. Could it even be like a strong, heavy kind of front set where you have an additional lineman out there, line him up on the hip of a guy like Robert Scott if he's playing and let Robert whisper sweet somethings in his ear and keep him calm in that first series to kind of help, help him shake it loose. And if he has success, then maybe you run him out there again and you kind of build it like that. It's a tough task to throw him into the fire, whether it's this week or next week because of the talent that he would be facing opposing him. But I think at some point you've got to do it because Darius Washington and Jasmine Turntine are not the answers at offensive tackle. Did you really go with whisper sweet somethings in his ear so he could shake something loose? <laughs> Maybe I did. I said, I said, I check the boxes back to back questions here. I think I'm going to kind of meld them into one. Oh, four, oh, six, no buyers to known FSU adds at least four starters through the portal this off season. Followed immediately uh, on our Knowles 24-7 thread, which is the best way to get a Byers Known question read. Knowles 24-7 subscribers get access to this amazing, amazing game. Uh, no blooded 2-2, no, 2-5-2-5. Yeah, something like that. Too many numbers, guys. Byers Known, FSU takes at least eight players in the transfer portal. Let's split the difference. We had one asking for four, another one asking for eight. Chris Byers Known, FSU takes at least six players in the transfer portal this off season. Well, the first one was four starters. I think that's probably a safe bet. You know, DN would be a possibility, obviously, especially if Jared verse was to leave to go back to the question we just had. I think the O line's an area where obviously still going to try to improve 
I think tight ends an area where maybe you look and try to improve as well. And let's be honest, quarterback might get real interesting if Jordan Travis isn't here after this offseason. So that right there is four pretty quick ones off. Can we, can Do we I think they'll take six total? Can we count oh, yeah. kicker, kicker as a would be no one. Yeah. yeah, so six total, yeah, I think the number will be in that ballpark. Six to eight is probably actually a nice like starting line to kind of set it out. It was, what, 10 last year roughly? Right. Yeah, I think we it was 10, 10 or 11. I think maybe 11 I, with Feast. I think it might it might be, uh, you know, tick lower than that, but I don't think it will be far off from that. I think at this point they've realized that they can get good high school talent, but it's also important to get some immediate Band-Aids that help you fix issues. And there's still depth issues for this football team that's showing up in real time currently. And I think the high school class, like, it's pretty solid right now. You're more or less big game hunting at this point. I think you kind of keep those scholarships open because you've had a hot – excuse me, a hot start to the season. You have a little bit of momentum right now. You have some proof of concept to sail on the recruiting trail. Uh, Mike Norvell is coaching well enough to get a, a fairly decent contract extension beyond just the, the one-year one right now. Like there's a lot of things happening that are positive for FSU. Obviously this season has to play out, but we saw last year, like a slow start and a strong finish isn't all that great for recruiting because of early signing period so much is made up already the you know, opposite of that is that you have a fast start right now so i i'm rambling here but my point is that you go ahead and take the best high school recruits you can go big game hunting right now because you've actually solidified a good chunk of this class already try to get some you know blue chip offensive alignment prospects maybe try to knock the door down on one of the wide receivers you've been trying to recruit like a shelton sampson jalen bram that kind of stuff and then you just save the rest for transfer portal because I think you're a pretty attractive transfer portal designation destination, which brings me to my next buyer's known Chris Noel MD 2020 FSU buyer's FSU has done enough on the field and in the portal to become a hot destination for top caliber transfers like Alabama, Georgia level guys. Uh, I'll buy it to a degree. I think those guys are still going to go to that tier of school right now in college football landscape, uh, especially the really good ones. You know, I'm thinking of a receiver that transferred from what Ohio State to Bama two years ago, for example. I think you know, he means like you'll be in the mix for like the guys leaving, like the, the Alabama, yeah. Georgia guys who leave. And and I would buy it on that level. I think FSU, because of their success with transfers at so many positions, but especially in the immediate recent times, receiver, defensive end, those are spots that it would be. I think offensive line is a spot where at some point you can convince a tackle of, hey, we have a pretty good unit here, but we need a guy to set that edge. We need the guy who is a true offensive tackle body. We don't have enough of those on the roster. They're trying to recruit them. Obviously, Lucas Simmons is an example of a kid that they've gotten in a recruiting class who is a true offensive tackle. Armel is probably a true, at the end of the day, right tackle. He can play left as well, though. So there are examples of that, but they need more. You need four to five offensive tackles, true offensive tackles, to be truly successful long-term in a season because the likelihood of an injury at some point is just so high. So, yeah, I think they've become a destination school for transfers. I think they also do an excellent job of evaluating transfers and understanding who they can go and get. Pretty high hit rate, and the ones they have, like – it's not just a high hit rate, but like the what they've hit a lot of home runs, which is important too. Uh, Like, you know, you want to be solid and get guys who are contributed – uh, but you hit a couple, I mean, Jared Verse, Jermaine Johnson come to mind immediately, uh, Fabian Lovett, Jamie Robinson, many of those are guys, Dylan Gibbons. I can go on and on. Now, there's a lot of a lot of good things that have happened for this staff in the transfer portal. Uh, Knowles95, Byers known Kevin A.B. yelling at you during the NC State film review. Uh, they, they were yelling at me quite a bit, Chris. 
I didn't watch it. Sorry. That's all right. It ended, it ended with Kev accusing me of thinking Mike Norvell's an idiot. <laughs> so well, I, I know I know they disagreed with our end of second quarter thoughts on running the ball, what, five consecutive times, seven consecutive times, whatever it was, and mm-hmm. then settling for the field goal. And I'm yeah. cool with that. I, I, I love Kevin A.B. I like that we have more smart minds in the room. I'm all for it. Not well, everybody's always going to agree on everything. There's it's a good to have put into football. It's good to have disagreement sometimes. Like, I think you and I have no. such a similar mindset, Chris. Like I think we agree on a ton of stuff during during games and whatnot. It's good to have like a different view. And football coaches themselves individually in the moment a lot of times disagree with themselves. It's an awesome thing. They'll think about it from both ends of the spectrum. And if it goes right, then they'll feel great about the call. But if it goes wrong, they're always thinking about, well, I considered doing this. Maybe I should have done that. Maybe next time that's what I do. I just didn't like the third down play call, like backed up with the second down one, like running it on second down. Fine. You had time still, but then you take your shot on third and 10, I think it was into the end zone to Cam McDonald. And uh, if you're playing to keep you know, control of the ball and why not run it again and then go for it on fourth down. Um, and that's before even getting to like, was anyone surprised that the kicker missed a 29 yard field goal? No, I'm never surprised by a missed kick these days. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like I just, yeah, I think that was more the the cumulative of it. Plus, I was of the opinion you need to keep scoring touchdowns. Yeah, even if you came away with ten, like I don't love that. I like playing aggressively for a touchdown there. Uh, anyways, Byers Sinone, Blowstein's bullets. Uh, bye. I'm I'm proud of Zach. I think did Zach do that on his own? Like, did you and him fester that idea? Because that wasn't he mentioned. Me he mentioned it the other day, and I said oh, that's a great idea. Go for it. Um, yeah. and then he sent. He sent the idea to Ted to work up a graphic for him. Spelled it Bolstein's bullets at first, which I loved as well. So I'm I'm here for Put some all of respect it. on the man's name. <laughs> um, no, I love Zach. I think the world of Zach. Uh, let me gloat on him for a minute. Uh, credit to Newberg. Newberg pushed for us to bring him in way back when, and Zach's been phenomenal. And uh, Zach's damn good at what he does, and he's got a very very bright future in this business, wherever and however he does it. There are very few people you find at that age that determined to be that good at it who are that comfortable with talking to as many people as he talks to and doing it as professionally as he does. Do you want to gloat on me for a minute? Or You're pretty good too, Brendan. I mean, I, I, I push to hire you. So, hey, I, I own you and Brett. You're, you're mine. Josh will always have Zach. Oh, Josh Josh nailed it, didn't he? South, uh, that's, oh, sorry. Oh, boy. Yeah, really? Really making you regret that higher. You keep chop blocking yourself on talking. <laughs> Like you're self chop blocking, dude. There is, I don't know, this word document has a lot of screen names on it, a lot of BRSs on it, a lot of colons. This is a difficult thing to run point on when I don't really get, I'm not a talker for a living, I'm a writer. I'm much better on paper. As our message boarders like to remind me constantly, oh, can someone else host the podcast? No. Wow, SWL7. Seven... Way in your feels today, but SWL7. It's Thursday. <laughs> Byers Sedone, FSU should replace two or more on-field coaches for 2023. Not will they, but should. I, I mean, man, they, they lost. Uh, we haven't heard uh, about. We haven't had any of these type of questions. I will Sedone. I will Sedone this for the reality of the way I believe it is. I, I'm not against the idea. I want to be clear about that, but I don't think it happens. They like staff continuity. I think they believe in what they're doing as a group. I know there's shortcomings with individuals as far as their recruiting ability, what they're maybe getting out of position, but there's different value that different people bring to the organization. And I think they like what they have. I don't see Mike suddenly reaching the end of this season, 
presuming it plays out as I su- suspect it does with a handful or not a handful, I'm sorry, a few more losses on that record, but a bowl eligible team that has shown improvement. I don't expect them to suddenly think, man, I need to can this guy or that guy or move on from these guys. I don't think it happens. If it didn't happen with Dugan's last offseason, and there was obviously some movement to try to make that happen, I'm not convinced it happens with others because, you know, what they were getting from the receiver position, the returns and recruiting at a receiver position up until the transfers this offseason was not good. And yet that guy is still on the staff and he's had a bounce back year and good for him. You know, I'm not trying to bounce back here on the field and on the recruiting trail. Like, so like, I just, I don't expect it. I'm Sononia because I just don't expect it. I'm, I'm not, I understand Chris Thompson. There can be an upgrade to recruiting from Chris Thompson. I get that, you know, maybe a different person as recruiting coordinator who has a different personality. I get why people want that. You know, there's plenty of examples like that, you know, defensive coordinator who brings more chaos instead of trying to stop chaos which is what I think Adam Fuller is. He's a guy who tries to stop chaos instead of necessarily always bringing chaos. I, I get why people yearn for that and want that. I don't think that it leads to termination of jobs, moving on from people and things like that. Yeah. There can be potential for upgrades individually, but is the collective pretty solid right now? Like, yes, it is. So should move on replace or move on i will say no i don't think you should i I mean if options present themselves with clear upgrades who are good fits culturally then yeah then obviously you you evaluate it but i don't think should uh that that seems a little bit hyperbolic to me right i think it would be beneficial to some degree if individuals got different jobs hopefully moving in an upward direction and you brought in some different new blood i don't think that's ever a bad thing for a coaching staff but I don't expect Mike Norvell to reach the end of the season and be like, I need to move on from these guys on my staff. Chris 954 Byer Snone, Fabian Lovett returns another year if he ends up missing at least half the season. So he's I will currently, that. I, I will too. Sorry. No, so, so, well, let's just, I mean, math. He's missed. So after the LSU game, he's missed. Louisville, Boston three College. Wait, wait, okay. So three, yeah. I, I would imagine. He'll miss at least one more, I suspect. Probably uh, we'll, we'll see what happens to the Clemson yeah. game. I I think that's realistic, but I don't know. You got to evaluate and see what would not playing in that game and then having that bye week and then you return back. doesn't seem like it's a season ender, which I think is the good thing. Uh, but so let's say half the season about is what it's it's going to look like. So that's going to be a Sinone for you, Chris, correct? Yeah, I, only so much tread on the tire. I don't know that he's ever going to come back and the production is going to be taking such a giant leap that it makes sense for him to invest another year in the college game. And he's got real life things he has to deal with financially, child and things of that sort. You know, he's already thought about making the jump prior to this year. I don't think he extends it another year. And Rising Spear, he mentioned Rising Spear as like a a reason why he stayed. And that's such a like an underrated part. People think about the NIL collectives and what they do for you know, freshmen coming in and, but the ability to retain players, to give them options and, and actually make money off of being commodities where they're currently at, like it's a huge part of it. And if you're like, if you have some extra change right now, if you're already a member of Mills 24 seven, which I assume you, you are, if you're listening to this, like rising spear is a really good spot to like continue to, to support as a Florida state fan. If that's how you want to allocate your money to the, if you want to do something FSU related, because of reasons like that. With that being said, like there's only so much you can do for Fabian. Love it because, like Chris said, he has real life things going on. Uh, he has a son that is well documented that's had medical issues, 
And even though he can be compensated to help out for that through Rising Spear, through an NIL collective like that, it doesn't, it's not going to trump like being in the NFL where you have health insurance, which you don't have as a college player, like health insurance for your family. And you can have a chance to start like building up a pension. And, and so all those things are important. And for that reason, I will say Sonone, I think this is the last year we see Fabian love it, even with the injuries. And it's a damn shame that injuries have derailed uh, both of the last two seasons for him, because he is someone who I think personifies like what you want in a player. He's been so engaged and, uh, bought into this culture and, and been a good face for this program and for the Mike Norvell culture flip uh, compared to going back to an earlier buyer's known like the trade that FSU made, or if they made a trade with Corey Durden, like Fabian Lovett has been so good for this program culturally, whereas Corey Durden, it was time for him to get a fresh start. Um, so yeah, I will, I will know that. Yeah. And Lovett's a, also obviously a vital piece to the defensive line to the success yeah. of the entire group. Yeah. They, they miss, they've missed him. Uh, they've missed him quite a bit and it's a tough stretch coming up here without him but but we'll see uh, when he comes back what you can do add333 Byersonone, did you expect the race before practice to become bigger thing with more of the team joining in i guess Sonone, I, I thought it was like a funny one-off with robert cooper in mike norvell racing initially uh and i'm kind of you guys might know this about me a little strange and find different things interesting and so i gravitated towards that and, and found it fun uh and noticed i kept doing it and kept doing it uh and it's turned into a thing where like a lot of media members want to be you know filming it and uh it's fun to kind of watch because it is cool to see the again a little glimpse of culture change of guys having fun at practice of there being competition but yeah the fact that uh someone like dante anderson a walk-on has has joined in and and is part of the race and We've seen other guys try to like hold Norville back to give Big Coop a chance. Like, it, it's cool. I didn't expect it to be a thing that became so integrated into the program, but it's it's been nice to have this year. I'm with you on that. Bravey twenty seven. I don't know. Byer Sinone Zach will soon infect all the Knowles twenty four seven staff with whatever weird illness. He says his allergies and not an illness. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm that, I'll buy that because I'm about to spend 18 hours in a car with him on the way down or the way up and the way back from Raleigh. I mean, I, I will buy that. I don't know what's going on with him. That's ridiculous at this point. He, he needs might to be go to Thagard and find out he's pregnant. <laughs> no, Chris, 2020. Byers Sinone, the 2023 starting quarterback, is currently on the roster, sir. That is a good Byers Sinone. A I'll let Brandon take this one. First. A lot of layers to that. I, I, <laughs> I'll go with Sinone. I think it's the most likely, but I mean, we'll see with Jordan Travis. If he, I think he's someone who wants to test the NFL waters. He implied that pretty heavily back at ACC kickoff. The way he's performed is only further solidified. Like he's a legitimate NFL prospect. I don't know where he'd get drafted, how early it would be, uh, but someone who would certainly be at least be a practice squad player, bare minimum. Uh, and and who knows, like he, he is doing some things that make him NFL worthy, especially as the NFL has adapted more and more of the the mobile quarterback dynamic of college football. Like if you can't move around now, you're not going to play quarterback in the NFL. Uh, it's been that way more or less for, for a majority of college programs, but with some caveats for the last five years or so. So uh, with all that being said, I've kind of rambled again and forgot where I was. Uh, but I was I was to know because I think he'll probably be in the NFL uh, next year. And I don't know if Tate 
is the guy still like, I mean, I know with the Louisville game was great. I think you would have to bring in a transfer of some sort, just to at least provide competition with, with Tate. Uh, and I think that's the most likely we'll see maybe NIL, maybe rising spirit can really rise up and uh, give Jordan Travis something to, to think about, but I mean, he's also a, a fifth year quarterback right now. And if he has a chance to go pro, like, and he's had injury issues, like, Again, it's tough to, to not go pro. So long-winded answer, uh, Sinone. I think you probably have to go transfer portal would be the most likely starter in 2023 from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah, I feel similarly I would Sinone it. Uh, Duffy's obviously not mixed too, but he hasn't done anything this year that makes me think that it's suddenly going to be his time next year. Obviously, guys are allowed to get better, and changing of circumstances will sometimes result in a changing of the approach of a player. So that can happen. And we have seen developments been a positive uh, characteristic of the Mike Norvell era of FSU football. So improvement of both Tate and AJ is something I believe can happen and will happen. But I think you go portal and it's definitely a competition. So I'm going to known for now because I'm not overly confident that one of the guys behind Jordan is definitely the next guy. We're asked about AJ Duffy quite a bit on the Knowles 24 seven message board. There's good moments, like a few of them sprinkled in each practice where you see the arm and uh, it's impressive, but uh, just not consistent right now. I think it's maybe the the kindest and best way to to phrase it. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I, 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 I thought you didn't he, want any part of that. No, 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 no. It's fine. Uh, he, there's moments where he has opportunities on days because of circumstances where he can seize the moment. This is the part of the podcast where Chris says too much about practice dynamics, and I don't want to get suspended from practice again. So I'm editing this out. Thanks for making me do more work, Chris. Also, I'm whispering this so no one hears what just happened. The Duffy thing for me is that when opportunity has presented itself for him to show more in practice, I don't think he sees those moments very well. And that's somewhat disappointing. But again, true freshman. Well done, Chris. Nailed it. Thanks for not creating more work for me. Also, uh, let's see. This is from... Oh, I got two. All right. Byers Sinome. This is from the Vibin with B-Sun group thread with the real IVB. Uh, if if you know, you know. Byers Sinone, Dippin' Dots are a hoax. Uh, Sinone, they're not ice cream. They're not real, whatever they are. No, wait, so I'm, I'm buying it. You're buying it. There are hooks. I think I'll buy it too. Like, just just give me the creamy stuff. Like, I don't need the little dots. Like, that. I don't know. Kid show. Uh, from the same group, Byers Sinone, Coach. Oh, wait, I'm reading the wrong one. No, wait, am I? I don't know. Who's having to edit who now? <laughs> Coach Coach Mike. Like, through me, I'll call him Coach Mike. Who calls him Coach Mike, guys? Come on. Uh, Byers Sinone, Coach Mike signs a high school quarterback in the 2023 class. I'm going to go by. I, I think they'll end up with a freshman quarterback. I'm still Sinoning here because I just don't know who the hell it would be at this point. Middle Georgia, Noel 99. Byers Sinone, Jared Verse has a higher ceiling than Brian Burns. Byers Sinone, Johnny Wilson has a higher ceiling than Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, I will Sinone on Verse because Burns is just a freak. Uh, yeah. Athletically, he's just freaky. I will buy on Johnny because Johnny, his weight hasn't fluctuated horrendously, and he's, you know, already put together more consistent practices than I ever saw from Kelvin in his entire career. I think we forget how good because of what he happened in the NFL for him. How how Kelvin's one good year is phenomenal. 
Yeah. But he still wasn't a good practice player. He's a guy that went on Saturdays and showed out and was great. And that's why he got drafted high and made the money he made. But Johnny, to me, has a better approach to the game itself. And that usually has carryover effect. One of, one of the five most dominant players I've probably covered. Um, yeah, I could say that. But he was him, Timmy Jernigan, Derwin James. Joyner. I put Derwin James and Jalen Ramsey over Marcus Joyner in that. But yeah, I mean... We're we're Splitting picking from hairs, a, baby. we're Splitting picking from Jameis Winston was not mentioned. I mean, yeah, we're picking from a pretty good group here. Uh, those were the days. Uh, Z Firestone, Z Firestone, baby. Firestone, a healthy Robert Scott is more important for the rest of the season than a healthy Fabian Lovett. Oh, that's tough because your other. If I knew I, that my three other defensive tackles in that four man group were a hundred percent and good to go, then I would say Robert Scott all day, baby. But I don't think Robert Cooper's 100%. I don't think Jarrett Jackson's 100%. I don't think Malcolm Ray's 100%. And so, like, that just that that unit has been deteriorated. I can't answer this, Chris. I don't know. I'm buying it because uh, it falls off a cliff much faster at offensive tackle than it does at defensive tackle. Byer Sinone, someone at Carter Finley throws P on Zach this weekend. <laughs> P Zach. I was known that. Um, but yeah, that place, uh, that in the swamp. They're the two. It's just not a comfortable environment. Never has been. Been to both a bunch of times. Northern Noah, one, two, three. Byersonone. Scholarships become less valuable slash more strategic with a further role out of NIL. Why wouldn't public schools just agree to NIL terms that include to the cost of tuition for in-state players and state scholarships for out-of-state kids? With the amount of money that guys like Hakeem would have be valued at, it would be easy to add an extra $6,000 for in-state tuition plus other living fees to an NIL offer and use a scholarship on an out-of-state kid. Yeah, yeah, quote, no inducements are allowed, but we can all read between the lines of how NIL deal works. Allow the schools to bring in more talent, which is an added selling point to the recruits. This isn't how we play the game, sir. I'll buy that. Um, I'm looking forward to when Nick Saban warns us all of that and then goes and does it because that's what Nick Saban does. He warns people of this is where it's going and then he goes and does it and you know, kind of like told you so. Uh, but yeah, that's certainly an element that exists. And it's going to be interesting when some people start exploiting that a little bit more. Last one from NRG, Noel buyers to own 24 seven camera work. will get better in the near future with zoomed in scans of players. Uh, go <laughs> yourself. Thank you to the Turner group for sponsoring another rousing edition of buy or Sinone. Let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, NC State preview predictions. We'll get out of here. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okie 
be? Prepare yourself. You will not be us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to On the Bench. We are wrapping up this episode with NC State preview prediction. Before we get into that, I want to direct our listeners to the work that Kev Little is doing at one at Knowles 24-7. Check it out on our website and also his X's and Knowles YouTube channel. His NC State preview is fantastic. Great, like eight-minute segment of getting a, a really good general idea of what NC State is trying to do. It's a great combination of film, of diagramming, of analytics, broken down in a way that's legitimately easy to understand. It's awesome. Also, I want to give a shout-out to the the Dane train, Houdini, Dirty Dane, as well as Trey Roland. They are killing it with the Null Thy Enemy series that we're doing uh, each Friday before games to kind of get you guys a more in-depth preview of what the opponent is doing. If you want to Null Thy Enemy, is that the name of it, Chris? I think it's Null Thy Enemy. I forget every week. <laughs> you should Null get a tattoo on your hand. I will not. But that'll be on the on the bench feed. So let's see. The Osceola is doing Null Your Enemy. No, no, thy enemy. We're classy, classy AF here and on the bench. All right. So, anyways, those are those are two things I want to point you guys' attention to as the NC State game is looming. Uh, before we get to the NC State preview, Chris, real quick, I don't think we have to spend a ton of time on this, but it, message board fodder, Twitter fodder. Uh, what do we make of the J. Ryan Wallace deal? He was never a commitment. It humors me to a degree that 120 days after it pretty much all happened, because it's all happened at the beginning of June, that it's become a thing. Uh, I mean, it's recruiting. A bunch of offers are extended. Most of them are not really committable at the end of the day. It is what it is. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't really feel like wasting any more breath on it, to be perfectly honest. That's fine. Yeah, for context, for people listening who haven't been on the internet the last day, a prospect out of the Texas area, uh, Tweeted out back in, I think, May. June. I think it was June back in, if I recall correctly. It was right before he visited May. And so he tweeted out that he committed to Florida State. Uh, We were told, hey, don't, that's not accurate. I believe he was told that it was not a commitment. And now, six months later, he tweeted out yesterday evening that FSU has not honored his commitment and he's looking at other places. It's just, it's this huge gap. And then his coach got involved as well on Twitter. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, opposing fan bases on Twitter are using that as ammunition. FSU really can't say anything, can't comment on something like that. Uh, they're not even really like they're not going through us to comment on this either. Like this is just uh, this is recruiting. And uh, look at the players' offer list. This wasn't like a real target for Florida State, and hadn't been for a while. Nobody's gonna to... care about this by Friday at noon. Okay, so let's move on. It's not worth it other than us just having addressed it because some people would probably want to know why we hadn't addressed it. Uh, NC State preview prediction portion. Here we go. It's an 8 p.m. kick. ACC ACC Network. Uh, Chris, with the win, I think FSU could legitimately have a chance to host game day next week against Clemson. Like I think that's on the table. Um, No one's really talked about that, but that that does exist. It's also already a primetime game on ABC. Yep, it'd be pretty easy to do. I'm just saying, just saying. If you can get if you can get past the pee-filled water balloons, uh, and if maybe the ACC refs aren't as uh, horrid as they were last week, you know, just 
not an easy task though. Their that defense is legitimate. NC State, I think S and P plus might have their defense at like ten or twelve in the country, and it's not. I'm not one to always lean all the way in analytics. I like actually watching the game too. But that defense is good. They yeah. they gave Clemson some issues. Clemson did score thirty points on them, but it was not easily done. And Clemson's offense actually has been fairly efficient the last couple of weeks and very good on the field. And it was still a bit of a struggle. Uh, but defensively, it's three three five. It's a different look than you're used to. They changed the picture on you a whole heck of a lot. A lot of it's honestly confusion and kind of a hard shell over the top that you have to try to find your spots in a zone sometimes. And FSU, I think, will be effective at running passing plays where guys sit down in zones. There's a few guys on the team, Michael Pittman, Johnny Wilson, come to mind, that do an effective job of kind of finding those spots and sitting down in them and doing a good job with it. Uh, FSU is going to have to be able to line it up and run the ball. you got to run at it. You you can't let them just tee off with their three up front and kind of take over the point and allow them to have eight drop back. you got to force them to put guys in the box, be aggressive, in my opinion. Um, what was some of the stuff that Kev tapped into? I didn't – I have not yet watched it. Uh, it was really good. So he did talk about that three three five stack and how it really just eats up the interior – gaps and one good way to counter that is through counters and whatnot so that was one one aspect of it i mean that defense is really good uh that you mentioned where they are in the sp plus even just like a traditional stat yards per play which i think is pretty pretty good number typically not always could be a little misleading but generally gonna the best defenses are gonna be really good for yards per play allowed uh nc state's 13th nationally chris with four four six yeah i knew it was out there you know what is interesting though i will say this like the three teams they've played with a with like a pulse because they have Charleston Southern and UConn that they've really yeah. just kind of slapped around. The ECU, three good ones are Texas Tech, ECU, and then Clemson. Last yeah, and I mean, and good I think is a pretty liberal use of the word there. But they all had more than five yards per play, uh, yeah. which kind of puts that in like as an average tier defense. So uh, there's this isn't like an impenetrable defense. There's a chance now whether FSU can block it up, whether the offensive line is healthy enough, and. And functional enough to give you a chance uh, that's what this comes down to if you can move the ball like how many points do you have to score on nc state to to feel good uh, about the other or more okay so i'm i'm kind of it's funny i'll get to my prediction but that's a, a funny number that you put out there on the other side one thing that kev mentioned uh with the offense he pointed to why it's struggling and, and so much of what they do is horizontal uh run game with a lot of like outside zone stretch also a horizontal passing game they're really high usage of running backs in, in the passing game, uh, but really their deep threats have just been non-existent. Who was the wide receiver for them last year? I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, it was Mecca on the outside, wasn't it? That's right. And so he was a really good like jump ball specialist. Uh, so Kev pointed that out. Just the vertical passing game has not been great. And I got a few numbers here, Chris, if you want to delve into them real quick. We'll talk about NC State's on offense and when FSU's on defense. That's worthwhile. NC State's 95th nationally in yards per play, 5.4. Devin Leary, who is someone that we thought NFL caliber quarterback entering the year and, and someone who should be in the top half of a pretty strong quarterback league in a lot of metrics. He's ninth in the ACC in pasture rating, 133.92. For comparison, JTRAF's like at 160. Uh, and Devin Leary is averaging just 6.6 yards per attempt, which is yeah. p- piss poor. So I don't think the issue is Leary, though, and I don't think you're saying that. The no. issue is more the guys he's having to distribute to. Dare Thomas is a very talented wide receiver for him. He leads him with 24 receptions, 301 yards, only two receiving touchdowns. 
Devin Carter is probably their best outside threat. He's kind of a big body. He was there last year. FSU is familiar with him. He's got 12 for 171 and a touchdown this year. But, yeah, their offensive, they distribute it to a ton of guys. I think 18 different players have a reception for them, which leads, I believe, NCAA football. But they don't rack up catches. They don't have, like, a go-to receiver outside there, Thomas. And Thomas is going to eat you alive on the slot if you don't do a good job. I mean, he did that to FSU two years ago up there. I think that's uh, a big reason why FSU went to uh, a nickel so much was just what happened to them against NC State two years ago. Amari Gaynor in space was kind of picked on when they were trying to go with the 4-3 look, and that changed a lot of what they did. Sorry, continue. I will say the thing with Larry is that if FSU has a busted coverage or a bad moment, he's got the arm strength and the ability to read the field pretty quickly where he's going to make you pay. He's got a cannon for an arm, and he's very accurate with his throws. So it's one of those where, like, you cannot have that busted moment because he's going to find it and he's going to exploit it. And the thing that FSU's defense has been the best at this year is not allowing those plays of 30 or more yards. I believe they're still first in the nation with fewest plays of 30 or more yards allowed. But this is a kind of opponent, kind of team, that if they hit a couple of those, they're probably going to beat you because their defense is going to be good enough to keep you held down, where if you give them some cheap points, they're going to manufacture some points too. They are capable enough that it's not a good day for you. So busted play is always important, but I just think in NC State's case, you can't give them free points because their defense is capable of keeping you kind of corralled pretty well. You know, they're only allowing, I think it's 15.4 points per game on the year, and that's despite the 30-point outburst by Clemson, outburst in quotations there. Um, It's funny with their defense. Like, you know, usually it's like, oh, like, Kobe Turner for Wake Forest, for example, is a guy you can point to and be like, he's a really good football player. They have a lot of good football players on their defense, but I don't know if there's a guy that you single out as being like the studly individual dude. I think it's more a collection of the parts. A lot of returning players, a lot of returning starters, a lot of returning veterans. I really like their linebacker group, Drake Thomas, Peyton Wilson. Both are among the best linebackers in the entire ACC. Very good at their jobs. Drake leads them with 32 tackles on the season. Peyton Wilson has 24. Isaiah Moore is their third backer. He's more of their inside guy. He's also a very good player in his own right. They'll use those backers a lot to kind of change the picture. One of those guys will usually be bringing some pressure, but you don't know which one and when, and they might bring them all up and drop a couple of them. So it's one of those things where that 335 produces a lot of moving parts, a lot of changing pictures, and kind of smallish windows or zone spots that you have to throw into. But they're going to tease you at times. They're going to play with your eyes, and if you make the wrong decision, especially in the passing game, they're going to create a turnover, and they've been good at that. I think they have seven picks on the year and two fumble recoveries, if I recall correctly. All of the stats and stuff are dumped down to 247 that I wrote earlier this week on NC State, so you can read it in there. But uh, they're, they're a sound, good, capable football team. Their offense isn't one that's very intimidating. But they have a quarterback who, if you give him opportunities, he will take them and he will make you pay. So you mentioned 29 points is kind of that barometer FSU needs to pass, you think, for them to win. Uh, I will give you my prediction right now. I gave this over to uh, Corey at our NC State site uh, on his podcast earlier this week. I don't think I've changed after doing more research on NC State. I think this is a game where FSU, if we can get up early and control things, like this is, FSU's got a legitimate chance to win this on the road, even as a, I think, three-and-a-half-point underdog right now, if I remember in that right. Uh, it's changed a little bit, but I think as we record here on Thursday morning, that's where about it, it's landed at. 
I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Seminoles went on the road and, and bounced back and really kind of played the role of spoiler with that rowdy crowd and, and kind of took on the, the villain role. They've done well with that this year, uh, LSU and, and Louisville. If you watch the way the players went and talk trash to the other fans, you know exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. With all that being said, I think just on paper with the injuries you have for Florida State, the positions you have them at, I think it's most likely that NC State wins, and I have that at NC State 28, FSU 24. So, yeah, I'm with you, Chris. I think that you have to surpass 30 to probably win this game. So NC State has won 13 straight at Carter-Finley. That dates back to, I believe, November of 2020. Um, T-Balloons are a hard thing to overcome. I I I want to pick FSU because I just don't think the NC State offense is particularly impressive. Given last week, I didn't think Wake Forest's defense was particularly impressive, and well, they had a damn good day. Um, but I'm going to lean towards NC State being it's at their place. Score wise, I guess I'll go uh, 27 24. I mean, I'm right there with yeah. I I feel like the scoring's in that number. I do think if FSU exceeds 28, they win the game. Um, I just don't think the NC State's offense is built to keep up. FSU needs to not to go back to the very beginning of the podcast. FSU has to come out and dictate terms. Yeah. I mean, no, I love going for full circle. Uh, that, that's going to be important is to be the aggressor, uh, to be assertive. Uh, and, and a win would be, we'll talk, listen, if FSU wins, we're going to, we are going to dive headfirst into what that means because I, I think uh, that would be huge for ACC standings. It would give you some, a shot of life uh, for, for Clemson as well but for now yeah i think right now this is a game where fsu probably just doesn't have enough firepower on its roster to to go on the road and be a legitimately good top 25 team i will happily be wrong if i'm wrong uh if you're listening to this dane draper i challenge you when trey asks you for a score prediction to actually give a score this week on know thy enemy you can do it buddy it's, it's been like two weeks that you haven't done it you can do it think of a number beforehand you got this no one's going to remember if you're wrong and if they do they're weird. I'll only remember if you're right. Last one, Chris, before we get out of here, buyer Sinone, white on white uniform for the road trip in Raleigh this week. I'm going white on white. I'm buying it. What do you got? Ah. I'll Sinone it. Do you want to put a steak dinner on it? No, no. I have one steak dinner bet, and currently I'm winning it. Byer Sinone, Josh Burrell, 50 snaps this game. Just let him dictate terms as this hybrid player. Nice and known in it. All right, for Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sonom. This has been On the Bench. Thank you for listening. I am just going to stop talking. I'm not going to cut myself anymore. Chop lock. The freaking landing. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.